Hello, I'm Mark McNeely, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer, and welcome to the latest edition of our 2018 No-Till Farmer podcast series. Our program features Shore Diker, a no-till and cover crop researcher from Penn State University. This presentation, titled Can I Increase Soil Organic Matter by 1% This Year? is part two of a two-part series and is brought to you by the 2019 National No-Tillage Conference. I encourage you to subscribe to this series currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about upcoming episodes when they're released. Today's episode is brought to you by the National No-Tillage Conference, the 27th edition of this educationally focused, highly interactive event will be held January 8th through the 11th in Indianapolis, Indiana. Visit www.notillconference.com to see speaker announcements, make hotel reservations, and get up-to-date details. Save $85 with early bird pricing when you register by August 31st, 2018. Again, visit notillconference.com. Today, in our conversation with Shord, we'll discuss questions and comments that were made in response to an article No-Till Farmer published earlier this year on the subject of increasing soil organic matter. That is, how much of a yearly percentage increase in soil organic matter would be a reasonable expectation in a high-yield, no-till environment. In our first part of this interview, Shord covered assumptions he's made in order to calculate growth of soil organic matter in a no-till environment, how soil microbial activity plays into his calculations, and some of his thoughts on increasing soil organic matter in sandy soils and arid regions. Let's join Shord as he completes his discussion on the role crop rotations and manure have in soil organic matter growth. Also, he'll offer us his top five no-till tips to ensure future increases. We hear a lot about crop rotations and how they're important. I was just wondering if increasing the number of crops and rotation plays in helping soil organic matter, especially for some of our no-tillers who are currently rotating corn and soybeans roughly 50-50. So if you could just speak to where rotations might be beneficial in increasing soil organic matter. I'm very excited about this emphasis on crop rotation that we are seeing now, in the, especially amongst the no-till community, because it was an area that was ignored as far as soil health was concerned for a long time. So I'm really excited about that increased attention again that we see there because crop rotation is important for so many different things, for pest management, disease management, for soil fertility management, for soil health, also very important. We need to perhaps relearn some things that farmers used to really understand very well before the age of fertilizers because they used to rely much more on crop rotation to manage soil fertility. We got a little bit lazy, perhaps, when we started using artificial fertilizers and and started to ignore some of the basics of agronomy. I sometimes hear, like, more diversity is better. More diversity is not always better. So, for example, for soil health, corn is a great crop because it produces a lot of crop residue and also has a, a very big root system, and that crop residue also is 
relatively resistant to decomposition and hangs around for quite a long time. It also really protects the soil very well that crop residue from erosion, which is another way that we can lose organic matter through erosion. Soybeans, on the other hand, are considered now to be a loss from the point of soil health. It produces very little residue, very readily decomposed much of it, the leaves especially, but there is very little residue left after the harvest. And we find that actually that the soybeans kind of have a priming effect on the decomposition of organic matter in the soil. And so it actually seems to be somewhat of a loss to soil organic matter. The other day, I had some South American colleagues, some farmers and people who work in industry, they came to visit us, and they grow a lot of soybeans. They rely a lot on soybeans for their profit. I mean, they grow often many years of soybeans in their rotation, and they have a lot more years of soybeans in rotation than corn. They are really aware of the negative effects of soybeans on the soil, and they are really emphasizing We need to add more crops like corn in our rotation to improve soil health. Now, in our nation, we typically have one year of corn and one year of soybeans. So we have a better balance, I would say, there. But still, the soybeans, I consider, although it's more diverse, the corn-soybean rotation, more diverse than just corn, from the soil health point of view, I still see it as being somewhat of a negative. Now, From other points of view, like soil fertility or pest management, I think it is a big win. So there you have a trade-off. Now, what I'm really excited about is incorporation of perennials into our crop rotations. If we could do that more, those perennials, like perennial grasses or perennial legumes, like alfalfa or red clover or something like that, I think they can really help us build soil organic matter content. What I'm trying to say is more diversity in crop rotations, yes, but we also need to look at what kind of diversity and which crops do we use. That is the same for when we put, say, mixtures together of cover crops or even of economic crops. If we mix different crops together, we now start to realize just throwing everything at the kitchen sink is not perhaps the best way to go about it. That was when we first started talking about diversity, that was kind of something people would say, more diversity is better. Now we're starting to realize based on research here at Penn State too, some of my colleagues are doing that, that you need to more use more intelligence when you put a mixture together because these species need to really complement each other You need to plant things that are adapted to, say, planting date. doesn't make any sense to plant something that you're already way behind the optimum planting date. So with crop rotations and with designing mixtures, we really need to understand more what does each crop species or plant species contribute to the things that we are looking for. For example, what do they contribute to soil health? Right. So you're talking about when you're talking about mixes, mostly cover crop mixes, let's say pre-harvest, for example, where they have the ability to establish and then some of those overwinter, for example, that type of thing. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when I first started doing research with mixtures, I used a lot of rye in my mixtures. 
And then I was doing measurements of biomass in the spring, and I found that my mixtures were almost all the same. They were basically all rye in the spring because the rye was so aggressive compared to the other species. And then perhaps I also had to change the seeding rate of the rye in the mixture. Perhaps I should have used less. But you use a crop like rye in a mixture, you have to watch out a little bit because it might just outcompete everything else in the spring and the other species might not have a chance. Or if you plant your mixture very early in the fall or in the late summer and you use, say, a cover crop like forage radish and you have a good soil fertility, that stuff grows just like gangbusters the other species might just be completely outcompeted. And so you have other species in the mix, and then the dead radish is winter-killed. There's nothing else left because the other species never had a chance. I also had experiences with, say, mixing oats with crimson clover. I find that very helpful. Oats is a, like a nurse crop for my legume when I established that in the fall or, or late summer. And then the oats, they winter kill, and then I have my legume there in the spring. And so the oats help in that kind of a mixture. But if the oats are too aggressive, that can be because of perhaps soil fertility. If there's a lot of nitrogen and those oats grow very aggressively. Or if I plant really early and the oats, they grow a lot, they can actually outcompete and kind of suffocate the crimson clover. And in the spring, I might not have hardly any crimson clover there because it was kind of suffocated by the oats. So then you have to address that by either reducing the seeding rate on the oats or perhaps use something else instead. Those are just some examples of how you need to use your understanding of the different species when you compose either a mixture of cover crops or when you design a crop rotation for your operation. Mm -hmm. We've already uh, touched on grazing, but there were also a couple of responses that touted grazing and uh, manure spreading, which people may or may not have access to, as very efficient ways of increasing soil organic matter. If someone was to have access to, let's say, either a dairy manure operation or pigs, chicken litter, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Please give us your views on these more organic methods of raising soil organic matter. Right. I'm really excited also about these movements in our um, no-till community to integrate grazing more with our crop production. I think for soil health, we really lost when we removed all the grazing animals from the field in much of the Midwest, where it used to be very common to have them integrated with crop production. And I'm glad that we're bringing those grazing animals back now because they can really add a lot to improving soil health because now perhaps certain cover crops, they can be used also for adding some profit to our operation. So the farmers are much more likely to pay more attention to the cover crop and be more diligent to putting the cover crops in. So I think it will really help increase adoption of cover crops. The manure that the animals deposit can be a great thing. Manure has gotten kind of a bad name here, at least in our state, because of over-application in a very concentrated area. 
and then losing some of those nutrients to the ground and surface waters, and that causing eutrophication and has negative effects on, on the health of our waters. But really, when you look at manure, it can be a great way of increasing organic matter content and improving soil health. We always talk a bit about the magic of manure. And so perhaps in the Midwest, they are more aware of that than we are because they have less of it. We sometimes have too much here. But as far as organic matter content increasing, that manure can really help. We have seen that here. So... I especially think the grazing animals and the ruminants can really help with the manure and also the grazing effect itself. Also, when the animals are grazing, part of the root system will die off and microbes will then use that and that becomes then part of the organic matter pool again. So it can help to build your organic matter content that way. Now, regarding the types of manure, I wanted to say something about that. Our experience is that it's really important that you have solids in the manure. So the manure from ruminant animals, I would say, would be much more effective in building organic matter content than manure from, say, hogs or chickens or poultry. You have less solid and less somewhat resistant material in there that can help you build organic matter content. Many times when we see hog manure being applied to the field, it is almost pure liquid. And so that kind of a manure doesn't really help to build organic matter. It helps to supply nutrients that can help plant growth, but in itself they don't help to build organic matter. But if you use dairy manure or so, and it has a lot more solids in it, or if you have packed manure, that's even better because now you have manure that is already mixed with straw or is already partly decomposed, that can help really build your organic matter content. I have seen myself with farmer visits that composting is taking hold. And what would you say about composting in general, I guess, Mm -hmm. is what I'm asking. Yeah, I would say composting is also a great way of, uh, it's just a little bit like manure or packed manure in a way. So So actually, you're already doing some preparation of that organic matter in your compost pile now, and then you spread it on the field when it's fit. That organic matter is already fairly highly decomposed, and so you don't need very huge rates, and that is already fairly stabilized and can help you also to increase organic matter content. We have a lot of compost from mushroom production here in Pennsylvania because Pennsylvania is, I think, number one in mushroom production in the nation. So we have a lot of compost, and our farmers, they use that after it's done producing mushrooms. They spread it on their fields, and that helps to improve the organic matter content of the soil. We'll rejoin Shord in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, the 2019 National No-Tillage Conference for supporting our No-Till Farmer podcast series. The 27th edition of this educationally focused, highly interactive event will be held January 8th through the 11th in Indianapolis, Indiana. Visit www.notillconference.com to see speaker announcements, make hotel reservations, and get up-to-date details. Save $85 with early bird pricing when you register by August 31st, 2018. 
Again, visit notillconference.com. We've heard from Short about the role crop rotations play in increasing soil organic matter, as well as some comments about grazing and manure applications. Now we'll wrap up the remainder of his talk with his top five tips for increasing soil organic matter. So in wrapping up, and I do appreciate your time today, our farmers tend to love lists. And so I've asked you if you could please give us a top five or more tips no-tillers can deploy on their farming operations that will positively impact soil organic matter growth. Right. So I thought a little bit about that, and the list I came up with is this one. First of all, I would say design crop rotations with perennials. And I know that is very challenging because often it involves changing your farming operation, perhaps. But those perennials can really help you build soil organic matter content. I said for my back-of-the-envelope calculation that 20% of the plant is basically below ground in roots. And that's about right for the annual crops. But in the perennials, the uh, below-ground proportion of the biomass of the total plant is much greater. It can be like 50%. And those roots have really been shown to contribute much more to organic matter content than the above-ground crop residue. So I would say crop rotations with perennials, that's my first tip. Second one is design productive mixtures with broadleaves, grasses, and legumes, like for cover crops or for grazing. I know there is now also a movement to look even at uh, grain crops that are mixtures. And I think there would be uh, a lot of benefit to that because of the things we have discussed. Also root systems, different complementary root systems and complementary growth habits. But you need to go about it intelligently in designing that using the right proportions of seeding rates and the right species for what you're looking for. Uh, And then my third tip would be try to remove all empty fallow periods in your crop rotation by using cover crops at those times. I'm always surprised by, you know, we pride ourselves somewhat in America as being the most efficient in the world, but when we see a crop rotation that is very common in America is a corn-soybean rotation, and you see you have only uh, about six months in a year that you use your land for capturing photosynthetic radiation, we can do better than that by planting cover crops after those main crops and filling those gaps in the crop rotation. And those cover crops are going to sequester sunlight and carbon and they're also putting on down roots, so that can help to improve organic matter. That's my third tip. My fourth is use a solid manure or compost, as we have discussed. This is just an organic matter source that basically comes from outside of your farm many times, but it can also be produced on your own farm. And then my fifth one that I could think of was the importance of maximizing production because in the end, the organic matter comes from our way of capturing sunlight and converting it into plant matter. And those plants then produce crop residue. That's the basis of the food web. 
as well as they produce uh, roots. And those roots also produce exudates and they feed mycorrhizae if we have mycorrhizal crops. And those help to build organic matter as well. So maximize production, but be careful that you don't use excessive amounts of nutrients, especially, I would say, no excessive nitrogen. The microbes start feasting on nitrogen and start decomposing your organic matter content. So those are my five tips. All right. Well, Short, I really appreciate your time today. I think you've given us a lot of information, and I hope that our podcast listeners think that as well. But I very much appreciate your time and being with us today. It was a pleasure to speak with you all. Thanks again to Short Diker. In this second part of a two-part series, he's given us some valuable insights and tips for use for increasing soil organic matter. If you would like to hear more podcasts about plant and soil health and successful strategies for no-tilling, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, the 2019 National No-Tillage Conference, for helping to make this No-Till Farmer podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, feel free to drop me an email at mmcneely at lessnermedia.com. That's M-M-C-N-E-E-L-Y at lessnermedia.com. Or give me a call at 262-777-2404. And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or at the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up with the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our no-till insider daily and weekly email updates and our dryland no-tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at no-till farmer with farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and on our no-till farmer Facebook page. For Short Diker, the 2019 National No-Tillage Conference and our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Mark McNeely. Thank you for listening.